0: If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmouth.church. Or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. It is, as always, a joy and a privilege to be with you. Uh, if you've never set eyes on me before, uh, as you've been told, my name is Phil, uh, and I am a pastor in Hartlepool, um, but I am a barrel lad, born and bred grew up in this church, and that is now approaching six decades' worth of contact with this church in various forms and guises, and uh, love love this church, love uh, this town, and it's great. It always is a privilege for me to be here with you. Now, you're in a series uh, called Wise Up, looking at the book of Proverbs. Uh, I listened in to what Johnny had to say last week, uh, so I'm all clued up, as much as I can be ever, with these things. Uh, and I've been asked to speak on Proverbs 14, verses 1 to 11, on the subject of character, and that may be why Donna said it was, could, could be a challenging message this morning. Everybody seemed to take a deep breath when I said that in the pr- little prayer group earlier on, um, so hopefully God has got something to say to each of us this morning. So Proverbs chapter 14, I'm going to read these. It's just a series of Proverbs. They're not necessarily linked, uh, so 1 to 11. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. An honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. The mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the discerning. Stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Each heart knows its own bitterness, but no one else can share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright... Will flourish, and then just one verse in Proverbs two, verse nine, uh, which says this, talking about wisdom. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. Well, we uh, we live in a celebrity culture, don't we? Um, think about the most popular programs on the television shows, like Strictly. Uh, which is all about watching uh, celebrities learn how to dance. At least some of them are learning how to dance. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's programs like I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, which seem, uh, I've never really got why people like this program. But anyway, people do. And it's, a, you know, you're watching these celebrities close up or celebrity big brother. And even things like Michael McIntyre's big, big Night Out or House of Games. Uh, Richard Osman's House of Games, they're about watching celebrities. We're, we're really into celebrity and we're fascinated by them and, you know, and many people just want to be a celebrity. Many people just want to be famous. Now, this has not always been the case. There have, over the last 125 years, been a kind of shift from the emphasis being on character to personality. And what is celebrity? Celebrity is personality that's kind of like out there, isn't it? Personality is often focused on what we project and what other people make of us. So that actually it's, it's, a, it's almost like we're put on a performance. So that the personality is the thing that really counts how people perceive us, whereas, in fact, what the Bible wants us to have is character, because character is what we are on the inside, what we really are, that uh, the, the, we have integrity, and, uh, you know, it's affected all sorts of things, even politics. Uh, I think has become kind of affected by it, so that people vote for pe- people with personality rather than people with character. And I have to be honest, uh, I may be old, uh, but I much prefer my politicians to have character than to have personality. To be people who tell the truth rather than people who just spin us what we want to hear. Uh, and. The celebrity culture has, in fact, infected the church as well, and there's been a number of of high-profile scandals, both in the UK and in the United States, and uh, of stories in which uh, people uh, people who are senior leaders in churches and in movements have been found out, often to do with their sex lives, actually as almost as often to do with their power, the way that they've used their power and the way that they've used their influence. And a lot of the reason for that is because we have bought into the celebrity culture, because we have sort of like, instead of thinking about uh, and supporting people in developing their character, have just bought into the whole thing about what's projected the celebrity, often the success and the fruitfulness of the ministries that people have. And so um, we need to wise up and see that God's purpose for us is not so much our happiness or our success, as it is our holiness. Uh, uh, And that is Christ-like character. You know, I I learnt a lot about English listening to Johnny last week. Uh, If you remember that sermon, he talked about synonyms and all sorts of things. And uh, character, Christ-likeness, and holiness... They're synonyms, (laughs) essentially. They mean the same thing, uh, you know. And um, Paul, writing to the Colossians, says that his purpose is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's character. Paul says about his ministry, this is what I want. I want people to be fully mature. I want them to be perfect in Christ. And writing to the Ephesians about the church, he says... Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's Christ's purpose for you. That's what he wants to do with you. Do you think you're close? Are you getting there? But this is what Christ wants to do in us. He is concerned for our maturity, for our Christ-likeness, for our holiness. And God wants to shape us from the inside out, but how does He do it? And Proverbs is one of the Bible books. It's not the only one, but it's one of the Bible books which is there to help us to think about how God takes this process of shaping us from the inside out, how God goes about shaping our character. It's a wisdom book, as Johnny was saying last week, and wisdom concerns the cultivation of character. It's about the integration of every part of our life so that all of it is being lived with Christ at the center for his glory, for his honor. Proverbs has been described as a workbook not a rule book. You'll be glad to know that. These proverbs are not rules that you have to obey because most of them uh, have a very specific cultural context which doesn't necessarily apply to 2024 in Barrow and Furnace. But if you think about these proverbs, if you dwell on what they're getting at, there is wisdom to be had. There is wisdom to be learned. If we can somehow um, suck the marrow, as it were, out of these Proverbs and bring it in and play it into our lives, then God is going to use that to shape and to form us. So wisdom instructs people in the art of living wisely so that in every situation, whether familiar or unknown, we've been trained to react in a wholesome way. And Proverbs is about the ordinary things of life. It's about how to live in the world as it is, how to develop character in the ordinary humdrum activities of our lives. And often we kind of have like a bit of a split, a sacred secular divide as if there are some parts of our lives that actually we don't really have to think about how how Jesus might want us to live or how Jesus might want us to express that in, in in our particular context and setting. So wisdom is concerned with the cultivation of character. How do we go about acquiring it? So last week, Johnny spoke about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. And he defined the fear of the Lord as a continual awareness of the presence of God and your accountability to Him, which affects every action and attitude in your life. A continual awareness of the presence of God and your accountability to Him, which affects every action and attitude in your life. True wisdom, therefore, comes from having a right relationship with God. That's what we've just been thinking about, what we've just been focused on as we've shared communion together, as we've worshipped. That's about putting Christ at the centre. It's about recognising and acknowledging that we have this relationship, and it's out of this relationship that God wants to grow our character. This is the foundation on which a truly Christ-like character is built. And I'm not going to say more about it because Johnny talked about it last week. But I do want to ask you this this morning. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted that on the cross Jesus died for you? That he took your sin upon himself? Have you confessed that sin and have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you taken that to be, yes, Jesus, you died for me. You did that for me in order that I might be set free from my sin. And if you do that, then the Holy Spirit will come and he will live in with you, live inside of you. He will be with you. He will walk with you. And this is the first step. This is where it begins in this relationship with God. So we've got to have that. But I don't want to leave, give you the impression that we, you know, that's the first step and you move on from that. This is where we keep coming back. That's why we keep coming back to communion because we have to keep coming back. We have to keep coming back uh, to, uh, to refresh our memories about where our grace flows from about what we've experienced, about what we need to keep on walking in and experience. we always got to come back to this. Because I don't care how perfect you get across across your life, there will be moments when you fail and you need to come back. Come back humbly and confess and repent and turn. And that, in fact, is part of the growing in character as well. You know, I I think it was R.T. Kendall who... um, who defined maturity as, uh, as the closing of the gap between sinning and repenting. <laughs> the, the maturer you are, the quicker you get from, from sinning to repenting, realizing what you've done wrong. So, in the verse that we read in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 9, the kind of character wisdom produces is described in broad terms by three words, right, just, and fair if you want a sort of broad spectrum of the kind of character that God wants to develop in us, then it's going to be right, just, and fair. Right in the terms of that we're obeying God's Word, that we're living in harmony with the revelation of God. Because God's our Creator. Are we going to allow the Creator to instruct us on how we're to live? Because He knows how we should live, because He created us to live in that particular way. You know, the Ten Commandments are not some random list of rules that God thought up. It's not like a spelling test at school. You know, you go in on a Monday morning, at least it used to be a Monday morning, and you've got ten spellings, and they're just random spellings. Somehow we kind of, no, the Ten Commandments are, this is how we were created to operate. This is how we were made. So to live right means that we're living in line with the way that God has revealed that we should live. To live justly is in the way that we treat our fellow human beings. We're we're communal people. We're relational people. And actually, that's got to be reflected in the way that we treat people. And that's not just the people we like, but the people that we don't like, the people that we struggle with. And then, to be fair, means that in our words and our actions, we're honest and truthful, that we're always uh, growing in that area of our lives. John Mark Comer says that in the process of change, there are active and passive elements. There are things that we can do to help us to develop character, but there are also many things that we don't have control over that equally determine how our character develops. There's a a verse in Ephesians where Paul says to be filled, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think it's uh, one of those verses where um, we kind of, I don't know about you, but often I've pictured this as being like a bottle, like I'm like a bottle, and it's how full, you know, I'm a half full, quarter full, full up to the top of a bottle. And in fact, that probably gives me more control over the situation than I actually have. And uh, I heard a guy called Andrew Wilson, who's a preaching pastor down in London, and he um, talks about how actually a better understanding of that idea of being filled is not the bottle, but it's more like a sail, That's a sail that is filled with the wind. So if you think about that, I mean I know nothing at all about sailing, but I do realize that you have to have a lot of skill in order for your sail to catch the wind in the way that's going to get you from A to B as fast as possible. And if you, uh, it's not exactly a spectator sport, is it? Yachting, but uh, they always show some of it during the Olympics. Um, And you know, and sometimes the winner is the person that looks like they're way off, but they've somehow or other managed to just read the the circumstances correctly, set their sail properly, and they and amazingly they just gather speed and momentum and grow into that. Now the reason I'm saying this. It's because obviously the work of character in our lives is the work of the Holy Spirit. But actually, we've got to set the sail. There are things, so there's the, the things that we don't have control over, which is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit will blow where he will, Jesus told us. But what we can do is set the sail of our lives. There are things that we can do actively to develop. So let me tell you about my adventure last Saturday. So not yesterday, but the Saturday before. So last Saturday, I set off at uh, about 6.40 from our house in uh, Hartlepool. I dropped my wife at work, and I drove over the uh, A66, and I went to Leighton Moss to the bird reserve because I'm into bird watching. Uh, and uh, I went to the bird, bird reserve. I got there about half past nine, uh, and I had a lovely morning in the warm uh, sun. Although it was, you know, it was it was a cold day, but it was really pleasant. Had a lovely morning watching birds, and then I drove through to Barrow because I'm also a football supporter. Uh, and some of you know where this story's going now, don't you? Um, so I get there at two o'clock, uh, only to discover that the match has been postponed. Oh, so, this is the second time in my life I've driven from (laughs) across the country to get to Barrow for the game to be postponed. So, I thought, what am I going to do now? Um, So, I uh, took a nice leisurely uh, drive up the coast road. I got to Green Odd, uh, and uh, at Green Odd, at the roundabout at Green Odd, I suddenly had this thought. I grew up in a place called Lowick Green, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and have a walk down memory lane. So I turned off and I went up the road uh, and I parked in Spark Bridge and I walked along the footpath from Spark Bridge to Lowick Green and the house that I grew up in called The Meadows, my parents and another family ran a guest house there. uh, Saw that and I thought I'm gonna go up on the green where I used to play football and cricket and I walked up onto the green and then I got there and I thought I'm gonna go up onto the common because I used to go walking and bird watching up on the common so I went up onto the common and I came down and I spent two glorious hours uh, Walking down memory lane, because I'm getting old, <laughs> uh, and, um, and, and then I got in the car and I have to get to um, the hospital to pick Margaret up at 10 past 8 on, the, on Saturday after she's finished her shift. So I, I, I get there, and I'm on that stretch of road from the M6 to Kirby Stephen, uh, and I see some blue flashing lights, and I get to this particular point in the road, uh, and there's been an accident, and the road's closed. And this young policeman, who's about 13, told me, um, <laughs> told me to, to turn left and uh, turn left and just follow the road round, and I'd come out uh, on the road further along. But of course, the policeman at the other end was telling people uh, to turn right <laughs> uh, and come on this single track road. And suddenly, in the dark, I'm stuck in a traffic jam on a single track road with no one moving in either direction. Uh, uh, and so uh, I have to re- reverse behind about several of the cars, do a turn, go back round, the road's still closed so then I had to take a 50 mile detour up the M6 and across from Penrith on the A66, got to Margaret at ten past eight, uh, exactly, ten past eight, she's just stood there waiting for me uh, and uh, Uh, and miss my fish and chips in Kirby Stephen, which is my treat on the way home. Now the point of this story is life's like that. Life's like that. Some stuff goes the way you want it to go. The plan, you know, you've got your plan and it goes lovely. Sometimes you're disappointed because stuff doesn't work out the way you want it to. Sometimes you just get these beautiful moments where unexpectedly you get to just experience joy. And then you run into tragedy. It's a fatal accident, this accident I ran into. Then I'm stuck. (laughs) And then I'm having to take a detour. And life's like that. And this is the sphere in which God is operating in our lives. Because our character is formed in the planned It's formed in the routines, it's formed in the habits and in the practices of our lives, but it's also formed in the detours. It's formed in the unexpected, it's formed in the ups and downs of our lives. And I believe in a sovereign God and I believe that God is working in all of the situations and circumstances and in every single person in this room. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, God is working in that for your good. But we have to set the sail in order to catch the Spirit. So looking then at chapter 14, what are some of the practices that we can actively pursue? Don't worry, we're not going to look at all 11 of those proverbs. That would be a long sermon, wouldn't it? Let's face it. Let's start with verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. We need to develop a pattern in our lives that enables us to give serious thought to the way that we're living to our motives, to our thoughts, and is asking the question, what is God showing me at this particular moment in my life, at this particular season in my life? What does he want to teach me? What does he want to challenge me about? What is he wanting to achieve in me at this particular moment? It won't happen unless we ask, unless we're thinking, this is a situation, this is a teaching moment, a moment where God can come into my life and teach me something really, really important. At this moment in my life, these are some of the things that are going on. My my dad is 91, nearly 92, and his dementia is deteriorating. That's changing the situation with my mum and dad. I live about 20 miles away from them. Uh, Our daughter, one of our daughter's marriage broke down at the end of the year before last, and she's been living with us for 10 out of the last 14 months um, that's been a challenge for us. You don't want your kids coming home in their 30s. But anyway, it was important, and it happened. A close friend of ours at the beginning of this year was suddenly, we were with her, and then five days later we got a message to say she was in hospital and she had a brain tumor. And, uh, and that's suddenly thrown up in our faces. And then there's church. Lots of good things happening in our church. Lots of challenges in our church. I don't know if it's like that here. (laughs) Lots of good things, lots of things to celebrate, but also lots of challenges, lots of things to navigate, lots of things to work on. And God is teaching me so much. He's revealing some uncomfortable things, but I want to always ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? What are you teaching me here at this moment? What is it that you want to accomplish in me? Now, how do we do that? Practically, some of you may be really good at journaling, for example. Some of you might, you know, I've I've periodically journaled and uh, it must be really, I hope no one ever reads it. It'd be like, well, it would help you sleep, I'm sure. But but people, you know, that's a way, that's a way that you could think through what is God doing in my life, reflecting on that. You know, I run, that's what I've discovered helps me now. I run not because I'm I'm not fast at all. I'm very slow and ploddy. But what I can do is order my thoughts. It's amazing. I don't have music on. I used to listen to sermons. I've stopped listening to sermons. I just run and let God sort of order my thoughts. Let God work those things through. I daydream. (laughs) I spend quite a bit of time staring into space. And I call it work. (laughs) But that's how. How we can reflect, what is happening? Why am I feeling like this? What is God challenging me about? And there are so many areas. You know, parenthood, marriage, work, family, school, college, relationships. They're all areas in which God can do deep work in us. But I just want to, I've just finished a, a book which is called How to Inhabit Time. Sounds like it's That sounds like a book you want to read, doesn't it? How to Inhabit Time. But there was this illustration, which is dead obvious, actually. If you're a gardener, you'll know it. But if you're a gardener, you will know that weeds grow in the same soil, that flowers grow, that fruit grows, that veg grows. So this is what we need to be aware of, that not only are our experiences the place where God can form Christ-like character in us, they're also the place where the enemy can sow unchrist-like character in us. The, the way that we respond to them, that's us setting the sail to let the breath of the spirit catch it. We, have, we do have control over these things, how we allow the horrible things that happen in life, how we let them shape us. We do have control over that. We have choice agency about how we respond to the things that occur in our lives. So, moving on. Verse 3 says, The lips of the wise protect them. In this series of Proverbs, the point isn't, I think the point um, was they were parallel, weren't they, last week, the Proverbs? So they said the same thing in a different way in both halves. Well, in these Proverbs, they're actually contrasts. So this is what the wise do and this is what the fool does. So you contrast the two things. And the contrast is about the way that you use words. And I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that we learn to use words wisely, that we learn to control our tongues. Most problems in churches are caused because people have not learned to control their tongues. Most most of the issues... I pray virtually every day that God will make me perfect in everything that I say. That's a a prayer from James. And I am not there yet, and I'm far from it. But I have to tell you that I am constantly dealing with people who've been hurt because of the careless use of words. And I don't want to pretend that it's easy, but we should pray about it. And we should seek to try to put a buffer between thinking something and saying something That would be good, wouldn't it? (laughs) We should seek to do that, to bite our tongues till we thought, is this going to be a wise thing to say? We should be less concerned to defend and justify ourselves, more concerned to protect our relationships than to win an argument. It's really important. And Proverbs has a lot lot to say about it. And then consider verse 7, stay away from a fool. One final active thing we can think about is the company we keep. And this is not about cutting ourselves off from people who are not like us. Or, you know, we need to be out there. We need to be witnessing to people. We need to be with people who are not Christians. That's part of our calling. But particularly in the areas where we know that we're vulnerable, we should be really careful about who we hang out with. If we know that we've got a particular uh, weakness in this particular area, and if we hang out with this group of friends, then that has got a very good chance of being exposed, then the wise thing to do is to be very careful about how much time you spend with those particular people. And on the other hand, then we should seek out people who give us life, who stimulate us, who encourage us, who are the people who make us feel like we're actually doing a good job. That the people that tell us and encourage us about the work that they can see God doing in our lives. We should go after those people, and we should seek them out and spend time with them. And we should remember that being with God's people regularly in a large group, a small group, one-on-one, is key to growing in character. Church is for that. Church is so that we can grow together into that maturity, to be that pure and spotless bride that Paul wrote about in Ephesians. And then finally, my actual favorite proverb, verse 4 of chapter 14. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox comes abundant harvests. In other words, you know, if there's no mess, (laughs) oops, Now I've lost my place. You're in trouble now. I could go on forever. (laughs) Where am I? Yeah. Okay. So in other words, if there's no mess, you're in trouble. (laughs) You're in trouble if there's no mess. I remember ages ago, just, uh, you know, God speaks to me in like these really short, snappy phrases. I don't get pictures. I get slogans almost. And, and years ago, I heard someone say this. I was right at the outset of my ministry, so 30 years ago plus, you've got to learn to live with the mess. You've got to learn to live with the mess. That's what that, that's what that par- uh, proverb's about. You've got to learn to live with the mess. The mess is good. The mess is the place where fruit gets produced. Life, as I've already indicated, is messy. A living church is a messy church. If you've got no mess in your church, you're not alive. (laughs) Mess is a sign of life, and it will lead to fruitfulness if we know how to work those things through. And there are two things over which we do not have control. Our culture says to us life should be easy, fast, and controllable, But in fact, God's work of forming our character is hard, slow, and we're not in control. We're not in control. I remember, again, another slogan that God spoke to me was this. Just broken people getting mended slowly. It was a word that God spoke to me, and he was basically saying, this is what's going on in your church. Broken people getting mended slowly. People don't like the slowly bit of it. But that's how God works. God's deep transforming work in our character takes time. You see, God wants to take all the stuff of our pasts, good and bad, blessings, traumas, failures, denials, and sufferings, and in his own beautiful way, he wants to weave them into our character in such a way that we have the look and we have the fragrance of Jesus. That's grace. It's what he wants to do. He wants to take all that stuff. Some of the stuff that you don't even want to remember or think about. Some of the things that you regret and he wants to take them and somehow he wants to weave them into the person that you are, the character that he's forming and he wants to make them a blessing. We cannot control God's timing nor can we control what life will throw at us. It's inevitable that we're going to experience pain and loss and God wants to take those times in our lives and use them to do surgery in our souls. John Mark Comer in his book, Practicing the Way, says this, The most difficult moment in our lives, the ones we fear and avoid at all costs, are our crucibles. They have the most potential to forge our souls into the shape of Jesus. So this is the question. Can we trust God in those moments of our lives to use them for good and ultimately for the blessing of others? God wants the whole of us. He wants every part under His Lordship which is the way to joy. God's goal in our lives is that whatever circumstances we meet, we will be so trained in godliness that our response will be Christ like. Because at the end of the day, that's where we see what our, how our, where our character is. When something is thrown up that we're not expecting, how do we respond at that moment? That's where we know. That's where we know the deep work of God in our lives. So let me finish with this. Where is God at work in your life this morning? What are the situations, what are the circumstances that you're facing where God is at work? I'm gonna pause and I'll pray and then I'll, oh look, I've scored minus seven out of 10. (laughs) Let's just pause, reflect, and I'll pray very briefly. Lord, you're the sovereign God and we thank you that you love us and because you love us, you want to bring all the stuff of our lives and you want to weave it together into some beautiful pattern that brings glory to you. And Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, with for every person, many, many different situations and circumstances and challenges that they face, And I pray, Lord, that you'll give them eyes to see how you want to work at this particular moment in their lives, what you want to teach them. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that they will be able to set the sail of their lives to catch your breath. And Lord, that you're going to shape every moment of their their lives to be something that uh, enriches them and brings them closer to being like you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for this church and I pray for the challenges that they face at this particular time. And I pray that together they'll be able to work through those things and that you will enrich the life of the church through it, bringing further fruitfulness to to your people here. So Lord, we bless you and thank you. We thank you for the grace that you've lavished on us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would continue to do your deep work in us.